It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Bourne Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast here on a Monday. Uh, last week for exams at Virginia Tech, so to all our tech students listening, uh, hope those are going well. Uh, getting to the end, official end of the semester here real soon. Uh, so hope you guys are hanging in there. Ready for ready for break, ready for Christmas. Dan Steinbach here with Colbert Bergstrom, and we are joined by a very special guest today as we are going to be using our Monday show to talk about bowl matchups. We are joined by 3304 Sports' own Katie Adams. Uh, you guys may know Katie as uh, a frequent reporter for us here at 3304, but you may also know her for her work at Tech Sideline, where is she? where she is a frequent contributor, uh, sometimes has been a host, and recently has started hosting around the ACC talking about ACC basketball. So, Katie, thank you so much for joining us here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super glad to be here and excited to talk some football. That's always fun. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, bowl season is here. Uh, conference championship games are wrapped up. We will be getting our first bowl games this weekend. Uh, so we're going to be diving into a lot of the big ones, talking about our favorites. But I wanted to start here. So th- this is a conversation that has been going on for a couple of years now. And I think that this year it's really starting to explode with a lot of you know, different dynamics and how college football is changing. I want to talk about bowl opt-outs. And, you know, overall, like going into certain bowl games, there are all these storylines that, you know, the commentators uh, will always t- talk to us about, whether it be players transferring out, uh, coaches leaving, uh, players sitting out to prepare for the NFL draft, you know, not hurt their stock. We've seen, you know, major injuries happen in these bowl games, like uh, most notably Jalen Smith uh, had that terrible, terrible injury, would have been a first round pick, but then gets hurt in his bowl game, falls to the second round. Uh, Jake Butt tight end for Michigan first or second round talent falls to day three of the draft. Uh, and really his career from that injury just really was not able to take off. So you're seeing a lot of caution uh, being taken on behalf of these players. And I, I just want to throw out some of the big names currently that we're looking at uh, when it comes to players going to the NFL draft. I mean, you're looking at potential number one overall pick Kayvon Thibodeau uh, for Oregon. You're looking at in a new year's six bowl game pit uh, ACC champion Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett has not fully committed to playing in that game against Michigan state in the peach bowl. I mean, that's a big, big potential loss. And I mean, he has, he would have the ability to, you know, put on a show uh, against a bad Michigan state secondary. And then maybe it's a smaller bowl game. Maybe, you know, not as many people care about it, but Purdue just had a really good season. And you're looking at the two best players on their team, David Bell and George Karloftis, two, you know, potential first round picks, you know, sitting out, uh, of the Music City Bowl, and that completely flipped the outcome of that game on paper, at least, because before that decision was made, Purdue was favored by about four, four and a half. You know, you take out those two guys, it's completely flipped, and Tennessee is now favored by a field goal. So I want to just start the conversation here. Uh, Katie, we want to welcome you in. Uh, just the whole thought process here, like, you know, maybe, maybe not so much the question being, is this good for the sport? Just is this something that would need to be changed? Is this just how college football is now? I think it's such a touchy subject because I'm all for doing what's best for you, but I think it's like a case by case scenario as well. So if you're going to be a, you know, round one, night one lock pick, sure. I think it's okay to opt out of the bowl game. If you're going to, if you fear that you are going to get hurt and that's going to alter the way that you're going to play the game, like, sure. I get that. But I also think that a lot of players go in 
to, to it with the mentality that it's only going to hurt them to um, play in the game if they get hurt. But I think there's a lot of scenarios where it can also help them. So if, you know, play your last game, like if you are being overlooked, I think it's a really good opportunity to go into a bowl game. And if you play lights out, then that's also going to help your draft stock a lot. So it's definitely a case by case scenario, but I think that a lot of players need to look at it with the eyes of it can't only hurt you, but it can also help you. Yeah, I mean, to add to that, I mean, I completely agree. It's going to be a case-by-case. Obviously, if players have prior injury history, maybe being a little bit uh, cautious of your health is also going to be a uh, good thing to take care of. But uh, on top of that, as Katie said, if you're kind of like a a first-round pick and you know that you're going to be a first-round pick, why why bother? You know what I mean? Like, make sure that you stay healthy. Make sure that you go and train and, you know, make sure that you, the player, are – um, healthy and ready to go. Like Dan and I preached on this podcast, player, player, player. However, for some players, it's this is a ideal game to show like in a clutch scenario that you can actually make a huge impact. And for some players, maybe like they don't have like that type of like credit to their name. Like, for example, I think David Bell can kind of make sense to not be here because he kind of has that credit to his name, not, being, not only being able to show up in most of his big 10 games this year, but also specifically that Michigan state game. Like he showed up in that game and he completely balled out. So his not being in the bowl makes sense. Cause he's like, Hey, I got an exact game right here that should be boosting my draft stock up like a lot. That makes sense to me. But beyond that, I mean, it's just going to be a lot of how the players played in college to me. And overall, if they've had some notable performances on the season, um, if, if that kind of works out, then yeah, you can skip like uh, opting out and uh, staying healthy before, uh, you know, spring, uh, spring, uh, you know, tryouts and then the draft. That all makes sense. Otherwise, I'd say probably go and do it, particularly if you're like a senior. Like, come on, it's your last game with your team, at least for me. Well, I think another part of the narrative here, and you consider it, say, from a fan perspective the watchability of certain games like for that Purdue game if you're not already a Purdue fan what is your reason for you know tuning in and watching them well you may maybe you want to see David Bell and George Karloftis who might end up playing for your team in the future uh if you are also an NFL fan now on the Purdue side I mean that that becomes kind of an unwatchable product uh but also it's not like these bowl games are going to lose money just because they're not going to be able to market the stars uh in this game because these bowl games are going to make money no matter what. Uh, it, it really is purely for entertainment at this point. But another you know, big thing about these games that could you know, play into the narratives uh, and headlines are the fact that coaches just are up and leaving so early. And it's because of the early signing period. It's because coaches, when you get rid of a guy, you have to bring someone in uh, before that uh, December recruiting window. Uh, I mean, big game right here. Headline game. Uh, you're looking at the Alamo Bowl between two big programs, Oregon and Oklahoma. Both of them just completely lost their coaches and a lot of their coaching staffs, and they're going to be playing in a bowl game together. And it just, it, it feels, it feels weird. Would either of you say that the mobility of coaches, obviously the mobility of players, the introduction of the transfer portal and NIL, it, it really is helping them on that side. But in terms of the overall health of college football is the ability for coaches to be this mobile, this late in the season. Uh, is that really a good thing? Uh, 
I mean, in my opinion, I, I guess it depends, again, on the team. Like, you have a situation with uh, Fuente that uh, occurred. So, like, you know, we, we kind of know about this where there just really wasn't much healing in the relationship uh, between the coach and the AD and the team. And when a coach has to move, a coach has to move. But a lot of these, like, situations that, like, I think you're even specifically mentioning are kind of like the Brian Kellys of the world and uh, your Lincoln Rileys and whatnot – and I think in that type of scenario, I do think that's kind of bad for college football because that's you're not only seeing all these players already starting to opt out from these schools, like uh, all those uh, like that recent class for OU now just shifting over to USC and any OU player already um, hitting transfer portal and hitting USC or other schools, etc. Um, I think it's just kind of a little bit disrespectful to the school, um, just kind of in my opinion. Get, get your bag and whatnot. I get it. it. makes sense. You have to do what's best for you again, um, even from that like that coach's perspective. But I think at least trying to finish out the season, unless you are like fired by the AD, like is just kind of the minimum you can do. Um, yeah, I mean, that's on, on the coach's perspective, I think it's a little bit harder for me to understand. Players, I can kind of get. Um, coaches, I think finish out the season unless you get fired and then go and get your bag from the college that you're talking to or whatever. Yeah. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this. If you want to analyze the Virginia tech situation, like we already brought up, I think it's different because JC price is going to be the interim head coach um, for this game. And the players that are playing in this game and who plan on staying through next year, know that they're going to continue to play for him, not only after the bowl game, but um, in next season as well, as he's been announced that he's being retained on, the staff, but for a lot of other teams and, and games, that coaching staff was completely, you know, gutted. So it's like, why am I going to waste my time playing for this staff who isn't even going to be here? Um, I could go into the transfer portal or opt out and kind of work on themselves and figure out what's best for them and what their next decision is going to be. But not only that, but NIL is going to take place um, in a lot of these bowl games. I know for the Dukes Mayo Bowl, they're planning on like whoever the player of the game is going to be in that bowl game, Duke's Mayo Bowl is going to sponsor that player and give him like $10,000. So that's another incentive that's really going to shake things up for playing in bowl games is NIL and money opportunities. So I'm interested to see how that's going to play out along with um, coaches and things like that. I like that you did bring up the incentive fact. Uh, for those that may be opposed to the idea of players being able to opt out or just opting out in general, the fact that through NIL, you can incentivize, you know, the star players to stay in the games, to help market the games, uh, that could be an avenue that we could see explored in the future. Um, nothing, you know, too drastic this year, but I mean, who knows? We saw NIL deals in the millions uh, this past college football season. So, you know, seeing Duke's Mayo, you know, throw a million at Sam Howell, say if he had threatened to not play in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, uh, just to get him there to market him, to have him, you know, play in that game, make the product more watchable uh, and catch more eyes on it. You know, maybe we'll see that in the future sometime. Uh, but I think that was a good, I, I think that's a good intro for what we want to get into today. Just talking about, you know, the big time bowl games, because, you know, sometimes you're going to be watching these games and you're going to not be seeing the players that you know from the regular season because they're getting ready to take that next step to the league uh, or whatever. So let's get into it. Uh, I want to start with let's let's start with the New Year's six games, and then we'll go into uh, some of the smaller ones. We'll save the Virginia Tech bowl for last. All right, let's start out here. Let's save the college football playoffs uh, semis for the last two. Let's start off with the Sugar Bowl. 
uh, between Ole Miss, who was the third highest ranked team in the SEC, and Baylor, who had an incredible season in just their second year under Dave Aranda. Uh, Big 12 champs playing a New Year's Six game, you know, really quick turnaround uh, from Aranda there in Waco. Uh, the Bears are favored by one and a half in this game. You know, what are our thoughts on this? This this is a really good matchup in my eyes. I agree. I think it's funny because these two teams have very different storylines going into it. Obviously, you have Lane Kiffin, who's the king of Twitter, and he has his QB1 by his side and Matt Corral, and they have such a special relationship that we've been able to see transpire throughout the season. Um, I think Ole Miss's downfall is going to be their protection of Corral, though. He's dealing with that ankle injury and has pretty much banged him up. All year long, he has said that he's going to play in the game if he's healthy, and I think he is healthy right now. But you take Ole Miss, and then you also look at the Baylor matchup, and this has been a weird, you know, they've come out on top, surprisingly, but this has been a weird year for Baylor after, you know, they went two and seven, and Dave Aranda kind of shook up that whole staff, firing a ton of assistants. They had their starting quarterback in Charlie Brewer transfer to Utah and then left Utah as well. But here they are sitting at 11 and two and able to really go into this game and prove their worth. Um, I know last year in their championship game, it was a big test for them, but, you know, key players like Jalen Petrie, who um, it's going to be really exciting to see him play. And for Ole Miss, Nick Broker. Um, so really excited for this matchup. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about it here on the pod a lot, Dan, uh, in two of these kind of being our frequent teams that we talked about, obviously, how successful they've been. Uh, Ole Miss with our surprise of the, of the young man that you and I both really didn't know much go, of going into the season in Matt Corral, uh, being an absolute stud for the Rebels and being kind of a leader for our Heisman race for most of the year. Uh, then on the other end, as uh, Katie was mentioning, Baylor, a team that uh, as we talked about when it came to the Big 12, they were projected by basically every single uh, person who covered Big 12 to be eighth, you know, ba barely make progress in the Big 12 this year. And it's like uh, because of, you know, a lot of the issues that they had from last year, second year of Miranda, et cetera. But this team has gone from being projected to be eighth to being the Big 12 champions and uh, beating Oklahoma State in a game where, I mean, if the Cowboys won, Cowboys would have probably made the cultural playoffs. Um, so when, when you're looking at this matchup, I think it's still going to be a big thing of, I, I don't know if their quarterback's going to be back yet, um, Bohannon, but uh, they did have a, uh, like a true freshman come in for these last couple games and uh, really do a good job for them, um, for, for the Bears. And obviously they've now made the NY6 and they're able to clutch up their last two games, including the, called the uh, Big 12 Championship. Uh, but for Ole Miss, I think the, the, the focal player of this game is kind of, clear to see it's going to be Matt Corral once he's been successful Corral's been throwing well um, I think he's one of the most balanced quarterbacks um, in college football definitely heading into the draft and you know he, he's literally won them games when they're looking at like the Arkansas matchup and um, it was like specifically and you're looking into like other matchups even like you know beating A&M it's something that Alabama was able to do um, Corral has been the focal point of this team as most quarterbacks are and I think it's going to be really hard facing that type of caliber quarterback because though we've been able to see some good ones in the Big 12, I don't think there's really one quite like Corral right now, um, particularly because of the um, OU having, having it be a true freshman and what was it, Connor Williams? We haven't had to talk about him for a while, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
this matchup is going to be a lot of fun. I'm actually really excited for it. It's probably my favorite matchup in this, mostly because I grew up as a Big 12 guy. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if we were to go for either side here, personally, though, I think the Baylor's the more well-rounded team. I'm going to go with Ole Miss just because I, I have to trust the Rebels. I've kind of been on them all year. So, I mean, I, I really think this is going to be a good physical game. Uh, could be high scoring. Uh, if Matt Corral does play, which it does look like he will, uh, according to uh, the Action Network, he does plan on playing in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, try to bump up that draft stock. It's a bad quarterback class, so he's right up there at the top. So any bit um, of draft hype he can garner in the next month uh, would definitely boost his stock for April. I would probably lean Ole Miss here in this game as well. Uh, they are the underdog currently at the moment. That could change. Katie, where do you lean? I'm going to lean Ole Miss too. I think this is a really good opportunity for Matt Corral to show how good he is as a quarterback. And it's obviously going to be him or Pickett taken as the first quarterback in the draft for um, the 2022 year. So definitely going to be tuned in to see how he kind of puts a statement on his career at Ole Miss. And then I'll be tuned in to Kenny Pickett as well in that Peach Bowl to see how he plays. Definitely, definitely. That's a funny thing. Uh, the sugar pool that I mentioned, that's the last New Year's Six game that will be played. Uh, that is that is, game is being played on January 1st. So why not? Let's, let's just go backwards. Uh, let's go to the Rose Bowl next uh, between Utah, hot, hot Utah, and Ohio State, who, you know, quite frankly, they're probably considering this season a disappointment, getting just absolutely butchered by Michigan uh, in the big house in the game. And then Utah, after a slow start, one and two to start the season, they just rattle off win after win after win, crushed Oregon twice. Uh, the deserved uh, Pac-12 champions, two 10-win teams in Pasadena. The Buckeyes are favored by six and a half in this game. Yeah, the youths were definitely very impressive this year, uh, being able to not only destroy Oregon once, but then destroy them twice. Uh, that's really not something that you're going to hear of too often in recent Pac-12 history. Um, but then, as even Katie was saying, Charlie Brewer is someone who came in, really didn't get anything, and he's transferring out again. I think he already announced – no, he may not announce the school. I, I don't remember. He that, is actually he on his way to Liberty. I was right. I swore I heard him announce it. <laughs> I, I, I digress. I digress. Um, so Cameron uh, Cameron Rising has been a very solid quarterback for them this year, uh, putting up a couple thousand yards um, and was overall pretty productive. But really the, the focal point of this team's offense really came from their run game with TJ Pledger and Tavian Thomas. Uh, Thomas, uh, I, I believe in his sophomore year now, maybe junior. Um, I remember we talked about him after the Utah game was very impressive. Um, has been impressive throughout the year, um, has put up more touchdowns than his quarterback in rising, uh, at least uh, comparatively to the passing game, not in the running game. He's only a few off there, but, uh, that's really going to be the key for Utah in this game is making sure that if they can get up early and they can really rely on that run. Um, that has been so uh, great for them this year. I think that's going to be um, a great scenario for them. Obviously, also Devin Lloyd, uh, assuming he does play as well, would be in a huge factor of this game. Uh, getting a pick six against Oregon, the Pac-12 championship, has been the, I think, best linebacker in college football, at least in my opinion. Um, he's, he's just kind of a do-it-all type of guy. And then when you're looking at the other side of it, it's – Ohio State has such a high-powered offense. That Michigan game was so weird to me because it was really just the O-line letting down Ohio State there um, because of 
you know, they were just incredible after that Oregon loss. Stroud was just throwing the ball kind of as he pleased. Travian Henderson, Virginia native, was uh, tearing up the field as well. Um, and both of them are going to have an excellent career, uh, excellent careers at Ohio State moving forward for the next year or two. Um, so this is this is a hard matchup to kind of go with because I feel like Ohio State has such a hard, like hard hitting offense that Utah is just I, I don't know if they're going to be able to be ready for it. Whereas on the other hand, we have also seen Utah come up against a team that, I mean, at the very least, they were good at shutting down Travis Dye for Oregon and have shown that they can really be up there with the best of the best. As you said, after that one and two start, they just really came out and cruised in the end. So picking here is hard. I have to lean Ohio State with how good that offense is, but I would not be surprised if Utah beats them. Honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if Utah beats them comfortably. It's weird. It almost sounds like a captain obvious kind of the game can go either way, but like it, it truly can. It's just going to be how that Ohio State offense responds. And I think they're going to respond really strong, particularly since these players are going to be here next year. I think my key to the game in this one is how well the, uh, the Ohio State offensive line plays. They've not necessarily been protecting CJ Stroud the best all season. And Ohio State, you know, finds itself out of the college football playoff for the first time since 2018. And I think because of that, this game doesn't necessarily mean a lot to Ohio State because they went to the national championship last year and they had a chance to get into the playoff this year and lost to arch rival Michigan. So it's kind of weird territory for them. They do have an incredible offense. They have really great wide receivers. Um, Jackson Smith, not sure how to say the last part of his last name. Do any of you guys know? Jackson Smith in Jigba. Yes, he's had 80 receptions on the year, as well as Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are also big-time contributors. So, And like you mentioned, Travion Henderson. So, yes, they do have a really a really incredible offense. And they're also playing in this Rose Bowl for the first – or for the 16th time in program history, unlike Utah, which is their first time in Pasadena. So it's hard, you're right, to bet against Ohio State. You know, there's a reason that they're currently a 6.5 favorite. While the Utes possess enough talent to make this an interesting game, it's really hard to bet against the Buckeyes, you know, wealth of experience at this level and just how great that offense is. Two names people are saying to look out for are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave uh, as potential opt-outs. Obviously, two of the three of that, you know, three-headed monster Ohio State has in their wide receiver room. but. You know, I, I will lean with my Big Ten roots. I'm going to lean Ohio State here. But, you know what? Honestly, I think I'll be pulling for Utah in this game. I, I think that they have an incredible story. Uh, last week when we were talking about championship weekend, I was praising Kyle Whittingham and what he's been able to do, uh, taking over for Urban Meyer all those years ago. He's really built Utah into a very respectable program. All right, let's stay in January 1st, and let's go to the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Notre Dame is currently favored by two points against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State coming up inches short from a potential first-time college football playoff berth in school history. Uh, Notre Dame going to be without Brian Kelly, but they ha they have elevated Marcus Freeman. Uh, who do we like in this matchup? Probably headlining it will be that Notre Dame is missing, you know, stud uh, first-round projected safety Kyle Hamilton. This game is so hard for me to put my finger on because they're not only going to be missing Kyle Hamilton, they're going to be missing Kyron Williams, who has been incredible all year. So just looking at those two players that are going to be absent, I'm like, all right, I'm going to lean Oklahoma State all day. But then you also bring up that this is Marcus Freeman's first game 
as a head coach. And I'm sure you guys saw the video of the Notre Dame locker room when he was announced as Brian Kelly's replacement. They really lit up as a team. And I think that they're just going to come together after all the adversity that they faced losing Brian Kelly. And it was just a really shady situation with him going out. I think they're going to play under their new coach, Marcus Freeman. And I think they're going to put on a show as well as they can without those two players and Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton, but also have been very impressed with Oklahoma State. And I think it's a really great matchup. This has been a down year per se for Notre Dame. You look at their record and they're 11 and one, but you know, I think, they have underachieved in a lot of ways. And part of it is missing out on the college football playoff. If they would have gotten that win over Cincinnati, of course they would be in it, but uh, I can't decide. It's weird because also, you know, Mike Gundy has been in a situation like this before and Marcus Freeman hasn't. I mean, talk about your first game as a head coach being in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State, who a team that's very good. Um, I'm also going to look at, Jalen Warren, who, you know, has been key for this Oklahoma State team, missed the, the Big 12 title game with an ankle and shoulder injury, so I'm not really sure if he's going to play. But off the top of my head, I think it's going to go either way. I'll probably lean Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be another really interesting game. As you talked about the fact that uh, Brian Kelly, you know, did decide to leave Notre Dame and he's now taken on the role of uh, LSU, also the role as, uh, you know, just kind of an instant Southerner too, apparently. Um, uh, it's, it's definitely a very interesting situation for Notre Dame, but as you said, that locker room really did fire up when Marcus Freeman was announced to be that uh, next head coach. And uh, honestly, I, I, I'm really happy for him just to even say that. Um, I don't know, I, I think we talked about it before, but I remember he's one of the guys that we brought up with Carter possibly coming in. I know that was an article for uh, Virginia Tech, but great, great defensive coach, really good at recruiting. So just happy for him to be able to get this opportunity. Um, I think the interesting thing is you did bring up is the fact that um, Hamilton and Williams have both opted out here for Notre Dame. Uh, two of their biggest players, Williams, someone who's been highly, uh, as a highly touted running back going into this draft class. Um, and then Hamilton is, expected to be a top five pick and you know just justifiably so um just kind of a, such a unique build for a safety um I think when I look at this game uh I have to th- I have to look at it like this um I've I've talked about throughout the season the fact that Oklahoma State just wasn't really impressive or at least that was that was the big thing until um really that middle of the season when they kept uh, kept up their undefeated streak and then it was like, all right, well, this team's just going to keep going and going and going. And then eventually kind of the tide swayed. Um, and I was really more favoring that team, uh, that Cowboys team. I think my concern here for Oklahoma State, as you said, is the fact that Jalen Warren is going to, uh, could possibly be out. He might not, even if he is, uh, even if he is active though, um, it's just going to be really interesting to see how, he's going to be affected uh, by whatever, by the issues that plagued him for the big 12 game. I think, I think I'm going to stay home here with this one. I went away from big 12. I'm going to go with big 12 this year and say Oklahoma state, but my heart was really telling me that Notre Dame was going to pull this out and they're just really going to have a great performance under Freeman and Mike Gundy's going to choke another scenario like this. But um, I guess one more interesting note for this is that the last time that Oakley State was at this bowl game was when they were the number three team in the country back in 2011. Um, and they did win that game as well. So 
I will go and say that Oklahoma State's going to get back-to-back wins in the Fiesta Bowl, um, or at least back-to-back is in 10 years apart. Um, and I'm going to go with the Cowboys, though. I, I, I feel so much that I want to go with Notre Dame. I like Oklahoma State, too. Uh, listeners of the podcast know that I do kind of have a disdain for Notre Dame, and I do feel that they're, they got a little uh, fat and sassy on a week schedule. I mean, th- th- there are some names on there, but overall their schedule vastly underperformed what Notre Dame would have liked the rest of the teams on their schedule to do. Uh, they played m- much better in the last month of the season, blowing out you know teams like they should uh, if they do want to be considered a top five team in the country. But I-, I think Oklahoma State is the best personnel, you know, probably second to Cincinnati. But on defense, I do think uh, they are a slightly better defense than Cincinnati. So I, I think this Oklahoma State team gets it done. Interesting storyline on that defensive side, though. Jim Knowles, Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator, taking the same position at Ohio State. Uh, that's a big hire for Ryan Day, taking away a guy who really improved, if you look at the numbers, year over year, uh, Oklahoma State's defense, and got them to be one of the best defenses in the country in the Big 12, which famously does not play any defense. So big-time hire by Ryan Day there. So I'll be interested to see you know, how Oklahoma State's defense plays without their signal caller, uh, as he will not be coaching in the bowl game. It was reported by Brett McMurphy, even though his gig at OSU does not start until January 2nd. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys there as well. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're going to skip over the two college football playoff semifinals. And instead of going to New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, we're going to go to December 30th for some reason because we're going to go to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Michigan State, big, big-time season in year two under Mel Tucker. Uh, get to 10 wins. Big win over rival Michigan. You know, they had they controlled their destiny. They were number three in the nation at one point. They controlled their destiny. Two losses in November prevents them from going to the Big Ten title game. Uh, they're going up against a pit team who was able to emerge from a down year overall in the ACC. The line is a little weird because, you know, Michigan State is favored by one and a half, but that is only because it does not seem like Kenny Pickett is playing in this game. Uh, Mark Whipple, OC at Pitt, has also announced that he is leaving. He's going to Nebraska for the same position. What do we think about this game in Atlanta for some reason not being played uh, on the 31st or the 1st? This is – here, go ahead. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I was going to let you go, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to be quick here with this then. Um, I was about to say, as we were talking about Heisman's earlier with uh, Matt Corral and whatnot, speaking of that, how about Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett, um, two of the top names there for the Heisman list, uh, Kenneth Walker really being one of the favorite names that we talk about uh, and that most of uh, cultural media would talk about. And then Kenny Pickett uh, being, if I remember right, third in the running behind uh, Aiden Hutchinson and then Bryce Young, the winner of the Heisman this year. Um, two, you know, really good players. Now there is a possibility that Kenny Pickett is not going to stay for this game. Um, and there's, I guess, possibilities of others on either side as well. Uh, obviously, if the coaching change. Um, but I've also heard good things about the in-house hire for Pitt as well for OC. Um, my key to this game is this. Um, whether or not Kenny Pickett's going to be in this game, I want to take a look back at Michigan State's game against Purdue. When you have a team that has talented receive, a talented receiving core and a talented passing offense, Michigan State got torched. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, you can look at it again. You can look at the Ohio State game. They're, they're, they got torched in those matchups um, just outright. Um, it's going to be really hard for – I mean, we've, we've seen Kenneth Walker pulled off before against Michigan – um, who is now obviously in the CFP. Um, 
we've seen him pull off one of these like Heisman uh when like Heisman-esque um miracle type of performances but we also haven't seen like him be able to just do that for Michigan State since not because of him his problem but because this defense is so bad in the secondary so whether Pickett's in or not I am going to go with Pittsburgh in this matchup um Michigan State has all the time in the world under uh their current head coach to be able to um uh get back to bowls and win bowls but they really need to fix up that defense first and this is just going to be a huge struggle for them. It's going to be high scoring, but Pitt's going to score more, pick it or not. This is my favorite game that to watch probably besides the orange bowl out of all the college football bowl games for a multitude of reasons. I'm going to talk about it. Like Kenny Pickett is going to play because I really just hope that he does. Um, I want it to be a really great game. and I know that he is going to be a huge factor in it. If he does play, it's interesting because both these teams feature players who were considered Heisman candidates throughout the season and Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker, the third, um, you know, in Michigan's in two of Michigan state's big games this season, Walker's performance essentially di- dictated the outcome, you know, in their win against Michigan, he had five touchdowns and then in their crushing loss against Ohio state, he had no touchdowns. So he's going to really be, um, a key player in this game to see how he comes out against this Pittsburgh defense who has been really good in my opinion all year. Um, it's also going to be a really cool game to watch because of the storylines. Um, uh, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi made a name for himself when he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State. So this is a little bit of a homecoming for him and his team being an ACC team that's going to New York Six Bowl and your name is not Clemson is also a storyline in itself because we're just so used to seeing Clemson in New York Six New Year's Six Bowls and not really seeing other ACC teams make a name for themselves in that kind of environment. So I'm excited to see how Pitt represents the ACC um, in a matchup like this and on a stage like this. But Michigan State's secondary has also been one of the downfalls of their year. So it's kind of a really great opportunity for Jordan Addison to show just how good of a wide receiver he is because we all know how great he is. Um, It's a little bit of a nightmare matchup in that scenario. But Pickett could have one more high output in a Pittsburgh uniform against one of the worst passing defenses in the country. So I think that's a reason in itself that he should play this game and solidify, you know, who's going to be that first quarterback taken in the 2022 draft. So really excited for the storylines of this, the matchups of this. I'm going to take Michigan State, though. I think I'm rocking with the Spartans as well. Uh, If Kenny Pickett does play, I'm fully expecting him to put up 500 yards of total offense because that secondary, one of the worst in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big, big storyline year for Michigan State. And I mean, just as we're talking, uh, 247 has released uh, the official transfer rankings now uh, for recruiting, if you like to follow that. Mel Tucker and Michigan State, they are attacking the transfer portal once again. So, I mean, we're going to see that that's what this whole season was. It was them plugging a lot of holes uh, from a roster that lacked the overall talent that they needed. Uh, a lot of starters coming in by the transfer portal. Kenneth Walker, obviously being one of them and being the headliner all season long. I, I really do think that Michigan state has a good chance of winning this game. I think it's going to be very entertaining and Kenneth Walker. He also has uh, the ability to boost his draft stock. He's probably the number one running back uh, on every draft board going into April and a really good performance here could, you know, find himself solidly in that first round. All right, let's move to the college football playoff semifinals. Uh, let's start off with the 1v4 matchup, the Cotton Bowl. Alabama, I mean, everyone this whole season has just been saying, oh, this isn't the same Alabama. They just feel different this year. They're going up against the team that 
not a lot of people want. They don't want to see the group of five succeed. They are nearly two touchdown favorites. Alabama is currently favored by 13 and a half against group of five hero Cincinnati. Yeah, as much as I want this to be a game, I really just don't think that it's going to be. I feel like Bama's in a really good spot right now after beating Georgia and kind of being on top of the world in that situation with an unbeaten team and putting up over 40 points against the Georgia defenses, which is one of the best defenses that college football has seen in many, many years. So you have that storyline. You also have the fact that these two coaches who are coaching in this game, um, Luke Fickle just won coach of the year and Nick Saban. (laughs) I don't need to say much about him. We know that he is just one of the most decorated coaches in the history of the sport. But I think the difference is going to be Alabama's, you know, history of being in games like this. They're used to this. They've won national championships. They've won plenty of near six games. And this is kind of uncharted territory for Cincinnati. So I think the SEC is going to come up big and win this one, but I'm hoping for a good game. Uh, Alabama also has one of the best players in the game, Will Anderson. He's recorded 32.5 tackles for loss and 15.5 sacks on the season. So that was also kind of a snub to not include him in the Heisman finalists. I probably would have put him there over CJ Stroud, but you know, Alabama is five and one in semifinal games and have won their last five. Bryce Young just won the Heisman Trophy convincingly. I think they're kind of playing with a chip on their shoulder um, in a way, just with the way that they were treated this year. They obviously come out as number one, but expect them to win this, expect them to win this game big and then probably take on Georgia in the national championship for a rematch. Well, a little bit of uh, alluding there to the, <laughs> the finals, which, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the game you're probably looking for, but I, I, I have a little bit more optimism for Cincinnati. Here's the thing. I'm not insane. I'm not going to say that they're going to win because no matter how much I love my group of five, no matter how much I'm so happy that they made it, it's not realistic. It, it's not a realistic um, thing to really feel at all. Just because though Cincinnati has played some good teams this year, that team's not Alabama. And there's generally speaking like two or three teams every single year that you feel like they are the best, the best, um, with Alabama always being one of them. And I, I just don't feel like that Cincinnati's played a team like that. And it's just always hard to come up against that type of situation. However, I do want to look when you're looking at Alabama, Georgia, that first of all, Alabama put up 24 points in a single quarter. And second of all, they also had a pick six in the fourth quarter, including Stetson Bennett overall, really not having a great game, at least in my opinion, uh, throwing a couple interceptions, not, the most accurate game, at least of his. Um, so when I look at that from the perspective uh, on the other end, you know, looking at Desmond Ritter, uh, Desmond Ritter has been one of the best, or maybe not best, but definitely one of the most consistent quarterbacks in college football throughout his time with the Bearcats. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he put up thousands plus yards since his freshman year. I mean, he put up 3,100 this year um, being his by far most, yeah, I mean, he's been the starter since his freshman year, and he's been putting up 2,000-plus yards each and every single year, uh, getting uh, better and better and better. Um, and this year, having 30 touchdowns and eight interceptions in the air, um, he's just impressive for Cincinnati. And I feel as if this Cincinnati offense, and as well as how well they've been able to run their defense, is really going to be something that is going to be a test for Alabama. I, I do think that this Cincinnati offense is very strong with uh, Ritter and Ford. Um, just really being a good one-two combo. And on top of that, I think that Cincinnati defense can really get after you. And we've seen it in some pretty big games from this year, really being able to hold on for the Bearcats. Now, again, I'm not insane. 
I'm not going to take them over Alabama. But I think this is going to be a great showing for the group of five. I think you and I have talked about this, Dan. The group of five needs this. They need to have a good performance here to kind of give the committee at least a little bit of ease of being able to be like, okay, well, maybe we can actually start looking at group of five or, okay, if the group of five is able to show up against these teams, maybe we don't have to sweat so much of that. They're not going to compete for us. So Bama wins, but Cincinnati is probably going to keep it a lot closer than anyone expects. I don't know what the spread is, but if it's double digits, I don't expect it to be double digits. I do think that this can be a closer game too. Uh, Cincinnati has playmakers on both sides of the field that we could see uh, in the NFL. I mean, you're talking about, obviously, he mentioned uh, Desmond Ritter, you know, longtime quarterback, winningest uh, college quarterback in the country right now uh, with all the wins that he's racked up with Luke Fickle there at Cincy. Uh, Kobe Bryant and Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, probably the best cornerback duo in the country. Uh, Kobe Bryant just walking away with the Jim Thorpe Award, and Sauce Gardner is looking like a first-round pick in the NFL. Obviously, Luke Fickle has built a really, really good program there that's helped them you know, become a team that's going to be in the Big 12 soon. Uh, and they've got players everywhere. I mean, my Jai Sanders is a guy that is looking to be an NFL prospect as well. They've got guys on the defensive line. They've got guys in the linebacker uh, room for Cincinnati. So their defense, I think, is really it's really solid. And the fact that Alabama is going to be without uh, John Mechie could hurt them a little bit in the passing game. I think what this just ends up coming down to is Alabama's offensive line and the fact that they just have bigger, stronger athletes. They're just probably just going to be able to work the ground game and push them around a little bit. But I think, I think Cincinnati can give them a good punch. I think that they're going to have a good game plan going in. I think they want to try to control the game, but there's just going to come a point probably in the second half where Alabama's just able to run away with it a little bit because they're, they're just that much talented. They're just that talented, and they're that well-coached. Uh, so I'm going to go with Bama there, but hopefully we can get a good game from our group of five underdogs. All right, let's look to the second semifinal, one that might be a little bit closer. Uh, spread does not indicate, so Georgia is favored by more than a touchdown against Michigan in the Orange Bowl. What I'm most excited for in this game is to see how Georgia responds to adversity because we haven't seen that this year. We've seen Alabama respond to adversity after they lost to Texas A&M and then they win the rest of their games. We've seen how uh, Michigan responded to adversity when they lost to Michigan State and then won the rest of their games. We haven't seen how Georgia responds to adversity because they came into that SEC championship game undefeated and really got embarrassed. Um, They came in only giving up like six points per game and they let Alabama tackle on over 40 points. So not only curious to see how they respond to their first loss, but also curious to see if there's a shift in the locker room in any way with losing their defensive coordinator and Dan Lanning, who's going to go be the head coach at Oregon. So really excited for them and to see how that plays out. Um, Jordan Davis has just been a beast all year leading that Georgia defense. 6'6", 340-pound defensive lineman. Um, has been incredible. Nakobe Dean, also the Buckus Award winner, has been incredible. So lots of NFL talent on this field. We've also talked about Aiden Hutchinson earlier. So very excited for that. But I'm taking Georgia. I think the SEC speed is going to be the difference. Um, they're physical and tough up, tough up front. And I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on Caden McNamara. Yeah, that's actually definitely one of the two things that I wanted to highlight about this game. Um, McNamara, uh, I mean, at least in my opinion, isn't the most impressive quarterback in college football. He's decent. It's not, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he's not like, you, you know, these Ritters or Youngs or Pickett's or the like. Like, he's not going to absolutely dominate you on the field. Um, he is a reasonable quarterback. 
Um, and I think that a big thing for Michigan is going to be getting a good performance out of him, or at least a capable enough performance to be able to get them yards against one of the best, if not the best defense in college football. Um, but when you're looking at the other side uh, of this, with Georgia's offense and Michigan's defense, again, Georgia's against one of the best defenses in college football. This is probably the most fun, like it's, it's the most interesting, I think, of the two semifinal matches. I'm a lot more excited for Cincinnati because of the five and everything, but the fact that you have two of the best defenses in college football uh, butting heads here in the semifinal game is really just going to be something special. Um, definitely will take the over. This is going to be a horrible game to be able to do that. Um, but I think the big thing for Georgia is going to be their O-line. Um, now, sure, they have a strong O-line and, and whatnot, and you know the, they gave up a few sacks to Bama, but Bama was kind of all over them. Uh, last game defensively and when you're looking at this Michigan team what is the best part of them is the fact that they get so much pressure and that they get so many sacks uh, obviously Aiden Hutchinson finishing second in the Heisman race with 14 sacks and uh, one of Dan's though you, you know kind of begrudgingly one of his favorite players for this coming draft draft David o, uh, David Ojabo at the linebacking position with 11 sacks um, both having incredible years for the Wolverines and this might be a surprise. This might also be, you know, a two, a two to one against me years. We had that split against Pitt and MSU. I'm going to go with the Wolverines. I think the Wolverines have enough pressure on that defensive line to be able to really get after that Georgia O-line. It's just, it's not something that I think Georgia's really been able to come up against this year. They don't, there's really not many defenses that are genuinely comparable to theirs. So I think when you have that and you have these um, top pressure that you're able to get against Michigan, uh, or get from Michigan, I think it's just going to be too much for this team. And Michigan's been able to stop hot offenses, so why would they not be able to stop um, the Stetson Bennett in the Georgia offense? So give me the Wolverines in this matchup. I think this matchup is interesting because it's really going to be a lot of strength versus strength. Uh, if we want to focus on the Michigan offense versus that Georgia defense, I mean, you're looking at the man in the middle. You're looking at Jordan Davis, uh, named one of named defensive player of the year, uh, by one of the awards that goes to uh, by the big Narek. And he was also named uh, best interior lineman of uh, the Outland trophy. So he, he, he is a big time guy uh, at stuffing the run, not so much rushing the passer. We saw his lack of ability to do that exploited in that sec championship game with Bryce young, but Michigan is a team that wants to run the football. Uh, Josh Gaddis, their offensive coordinator, just won the Broyles Award. He was under fire a lot earlier in the season because, you know, they were really just running the football. They were running it as much as anyone in the country, not a military academy. But they weren't really able to throw. Uh, they did a little bit more balance. But overall, Cade McNamara, he hasn't really had to throw a lot. So, you know, seeing them potentially take away that ground game for Michigan, uh, that might end up challenging Michigan's offense and their offensive identity. This is a team that wants to run the football uh, I would love to see whether or not their offensive line can counter Georgia's run defense. If they can, it puts Michigan in a really good spot to be able to do what they want to do. But, you know, if they can't, it could be a long day for them. Uh, on the other side, I mean, Coburn was talking about it. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ajabo, unreal defensive line pressure. The Probably the storyline that will be brought up will be the quarterback controversy at Georgia right now between JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett, whether or not they insert JT Daniels back into that starting spot. Um I'm going to lean Georgia in this one. Again, low scoring game, ugly affair, a lot of smash mouth football, but whichever team has that explosive play, I think there's going to be very few plays going over 20 yards in this game. 
I think if one team breaks one, I, I think that's a good indicator of who's going to come out on top in that one. All right, so we have covered the New Year's Six. Let's focus on some of the smaller ones, uh, particularly involving big-time programs, especially ACC programs. How about we start off with the Gator Bowl between Wake Forest, had an amazing season uh, under Dave Clawson. They're taking on AM. They are a touchdown underdog uh, for the ACC runner-up. Yeah, yeah Dave Clawson, the only coach in D1 history to lead four different programs to 10 win seasons. So that's an accomplishment in itself. And getting to this game, another big accomplishment. But Demon Deacon started 8-0 and were in the top 10 before losing three out of the last five. Pitt kind of gave them all that they could handle. I see Texas A&M doing the same, but it's kind of like good luck guessing how Texas A&M is going to play. How are they going to show up? Is it going to be the team that beat Alabama or is it going to be the team that lost to Arkansas and Mississippi state in back-to-back games? So we'll see. Uh, Texas A&M is also dealing with the loss of their defensive coordinator. Who's going to coach at Duke, but I'm not really sure how that game plan is going to transpire um, practicing for Hartman with their defensive coordinator gone. Not sure if he's planning on coaching in this game, I guess not, but I will take Texas A&M convincingly, even though most people would probably lean wake. Uh, I'm actually in the exact same boat with you here, Katie. Um, if you look at that AM offense, really relying on the run with uh, uh, Devon Ockney and Isaiah Spiller, uh, both having uh, incredible seasons. Um, Spiller, one of the favorite names also for the draft uh, it, at his position. But really the biggest thing about this AM team in which we've uh, also kind of covered here is the fact that SEC doesn't generally have like crazy, crazy defenses, mostly because like their offenses are so good. Like you don't really see that many great uh, defensive performances, at least it seems like recently. But AM, I think, has the second best defense in SEC. Uh, they were incredible this year. They were able to beat Alabama, uh, one of the, they're actually the only team to really be able to say so thus far. But then even in like losses to Ole Miss and LSU, they're able to hold them under 30. Um, they held Missouri and South Carolina to just two touchdowns in each of those games. Auburn, they held to, you know, no touchdowns. Uh, obviously, you have the Arkansas game that you talked about, but still, they only allowed Arkansas to score 20 points. Um, this Texas A&M defense was able to show consistently that they're able to slow down these SEC offenses. It's just really the fact of if their offense is able to move with it. And I think that they're going to be able to get enough room against Wake Forest as their defense has been very disappointing uh, throughout good portions of this year. I mean, we talked about the Army game. Army put up 56 on them. Um, and you had a convincing loss against Pittsburgh um, and a convincing loss against Clemson. And Clemson's offense was pretty dreadful throughout most of the season. So I think, again, I'm right with you. I think AM wins this convincingly. I think it's going to be kind of a shock how convincing they win it. I don't think Wake Forest is going to have much room to really be able to use Hartman or any of their offensive weapons. And I think AM is going to have a very strong performance and kind of show that uh, they're going to be just fine moving next year, even though they're losing uh, their defensive coordinator. Yeah, Mike Elko uh, on his way to Duke. So big storyline there for AM. I, I do think that AM comes away in this game. I, I think it just ends up looking something along the lines of Clemson, where it just becomes a talent deficit. Wake was able to do a lot uh, due to what they like to do on offense. Uh, but that defense, it it really just a, a lot of lacking fundamentals uh, for Wake in that department. The, the offense could have an explosive play here or there, but I think AM is able to control the game, control the line of scrimmage, all that. 
be the more physical team. I'll go with the Aggies. All right, here we go. Duke's Mayo Bowl, probably the most exciting bowl game ever. Uh, man, I I don't get the love for this bowl, honestly. Maybe it's because we might see someone get dumped in Mayo here. But yes. Battle of Carolinas, UNC going up against South Carolina. UNC, very disappointing season. Preseason top 10 team, you know, large favorite to win the ACC Coastal. They end up in Charlotte going up against a South Carolina team, making a bowl in the first season of Shane Beamer. Maybe a surprise here. The Tar Heels are favored by seven and a half as Sam Howell is favored to play. But a lot of storylines here. And if the winning coach gets doused in Mayo, uh, $10,000 to the charity of choice. I, I think that's all we want to see at the end of this game, at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really exciting, this matchup here of the Carolinas. Uh, South Carolina kind of struggling throughout most of the year under first-year head coach Shane Beamer. But Beamer was able to bring them to 6-6, six and six, was able to bring them to a bowl game, and does have some impressive wins under his resume, being able to dominate Florida, being able to beat Auburn. Um, and then he was, even in some losses, was able to be competitive with uh, Kentucky. And then he was also competitive with Missouri. And though, you know, it's not great to lose to Missouri, I think. Still, it's Missouri away from home with a team in his first year. I think it's pretty impressive for Beamer and the Gamecocks. Um, though I, I, I would love to be able to go with a little bit of the VT roots and say that Beamer is going to be able to bring it home here for the Gamecocks. I am going to go with UNC. I don't know if Sam House opted out or not. Um, I kind of be, I probably say that he shouldn't just be able to get like this big game under his belt and really show these NFL teams. Hey, I was projected to be the Heisman winner for a reason. Um, but then even without Sam Howell, kind of the same situation that I kind of believe with Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett. Um, I just think that there is enough offensive uh, firepower here for North Carolina that they're going to be able to, uh, get through this game. Sure, their defense has been horrible. This is probably going to be a high-scoring matchup, but Ty Chandler has had his moments this season. Um, if Sam Howell plays, obviously Sam Howell has been still pretty good this season, though it was a lackluster season. Put up 23 touchdowns in the air, 11 on the ground, uh, to only nine interceptions. Uh, really, the offensive line being the biggest letdown. Uh, and then, obviously, the, they're still going to have Josh Downs and Antoine Green, both pretty talented receivers, particularly Downs someone who was solid throughout the year, almost putting up 100 receptions uh, on the season. So I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. I think they're going to be able to get enough offense here to be able to get the win and douse uh, Mac Brown in his uh, Jordan, Jordan-sponsored shoes in Mayo. Yeah, you guys may not get the hype for the Duke's Mail Bowl, but I absolutely love it. I'll shout out my sister. She's actually an employee of the Duke's Mail Bowl, so that's why I have some, you know, ties to that. I'll be on, I'll be at that game, and I'm super excited. But Sam Howell did announce that he is playing in this game. Love the fact that he is playing in this game. I think that not only he should play in this game, but I think that he should also come back for another year. Who knows? He could have a Kenny Pickett moment. You know, Pickett was a projected fifth round draft pick and elevated himself to a first rounder in this year alone. Not that Howell would be a fifth round draft pick. He wouldn't, but I think that he still has a lot of room to improve and can do that with another year at UNC. You also talk about underachieving. And I mean, UNC is probably the king of that because they were not only in talks about winning the Coastal, but people were talking about them possibly going to the college football playoff. And here they are at six and six and in the Mayo Bowl. And I think it made sense for people to talk about them going to the playoff because of all the offensive weapons that they have. I, you know, I love watching Josh Downs and Ty Chandler and Sam Howell and all those guys. And I think that they play with a lot of confidence in some ways and in some ways they don't. Um, also moving over to the South Carolina side, I think the Gamecocks are playing with a lot of confidence. They had some great wins over Auburn and UF, got humbled by Clemson, 
um, and kind of shut out there. But I think with the situation that Shane Beamer was given at South Carolina, he did as good of a job as he probably could. And it's only up from here. But I will lean UNC and the ACC in this one. I think Sam Howell puts on a show in front of his home crowd because he is a Charlotte native. But I'll be interested to see what his decision is after this game. Maybe this could be the type of game where if he plays lights out and throws for hundreds of yards and a couple touchdowns that he does elevate his draft stock a little bit. But interested to see that. But we'll lean UNC. I might actually differ here just to be different. Honestly, I don't know why. Um, I, I find it interesting, Katie, that you bring up Sam Howell potentially coming back. I would be surprised by that. I think a lot of people would, but I mean, who knows? Maybe his draft stock does fall. Uh, South Carolina is going to be without uh, Zaquandre Wright, who is leaving for the NFL draft. Uh, their leading rusher uh, helped them a lot this year. Uh, only put up about 583 yards on the ground. Uh, not sure if he missed any time with injury, but they're going to be without their leading rusher. So maybe I do just, you know, go with the grain, go with the Tar Heels here. I don't know. Uh, I'm not I'm not particularly excited for this game. Uh, I know this was a potential destination for Virginia Tech. I know a lot of people would have liked to make the trip down there. It's a close one to Blacksburg, but I'll go with the Tar Heels and, you know, I'll, I'll have this game on in the background uh, on whatever day it's on. I'm pretty sure it's a morning kickoff. I'm pretty sure it's before noon. Uh, 11.30 a.m. Which to me is just, oh, that's just, no. That's, <laughs> that's, that, that is I would not do that. <laughs> they're trying to fit in as many games as they possibly can which is why but yeah it's a little brutal i mean yeah, I, I, it is. I guess the, i guess the bright side though is it's probably gonna be a little bit warmer than yeah so you know as we're, as we're in december maybe it'll be a little bit better for the fans uh i mean it's, it's still gonna be cold but you know at least you'll have the sun i mean i it's, it's apparently warm all over i'm back home in michigan <laughs> and it's like you know hitting high 50s and i am very disappointed in that um i don't know though all right, let's move on. Let's go to the Alamo Bowl, which I mentioned earlier between two teams that don't have head coaches at the moment, uh, Oregon and Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners are favored in this game by four and a half. Sooners had a you know real roller coaster of a season. Uh, disappointing by their standards. You know, obviously they want to dominate the Big 12. Some big losses, losing in Bedlam for the first time in what seems like forever. Uh, Oregon just getting smacked around by Utah twice. They lose Mario Cristobal. They're bringing in Dan Lanning, as Katie mentioned. And then Oklahoma sees Lincoln Riley go west or uh, to USC. And they're going to be bringing in Brett Venables. Neither of them will be coaching in this game, but, you know, who do we have in this one? The storyline obviously is going to be, oh, these two teams are with interims. But I don't know. I, I still think this could be an intriguing matchup talent-wise. I mean, this is something where you feel like you should be so excited for this matchup. It's Oklahoma-Oregon. It's teams that have made the college football playoffs before. It's teams that – had a lot of recent success in the college football landscape as well. Um, obviously, you know, you had Lincoln Riley and how successful he was and uh, et cetera. But as you said, that was not going to be interim coaches. Uh, it feels like Oklahoma has lost like everybody. I mean, they haven't, but it feels like they have. Uh, and then on the other side, I mean, Oregon, I think they may have been losing some players, but overall they've also been disappointing this year. I mean, we've, we talked about these are probably two of the most disappointing teams this season in general. Uh, you know, talk about the fact that Oklahoma could have, would have, should have lost to Kansas State. The hanging up the banner that Kansas beat them for three quarters. Um, the, the fact that it took throwing Connor Williams to be able to throw up, like, however many touchdowns he did to somehow come back and win the Red River rivalry. 
Oklahoma just having such a bad year. And then you, you even look at the end of Oregon struggling against the likes of Arizona and getting destroyed by Utah multiple times. Um, there are other losses. I don't remember. Actually, that may have been Fresno. No, Fresno State only competed. Uh, I, I digress, though. Um, this matchup is just not enticing at all to me, which, again, it's sad because of how historic these college football programs are. But it, it, it hurts to do this, but I'm going to go against the Big 12 grain again, and I'm going to go with the Ducks because I think the Ducks are at least retaining more talent than Oklahoma is. I think that Oklahoma locker room is going to be a mess. And at the very least in Oregon, it's going to be a lot less of a mess from what it seems like. And I feel like Oregon has the talent enough to be able to uh, slow down this Oklahoma offense. And uh, I, I think being able to have someone like die most likely running in this matchup, it's just going to be the difference maker for the ducks when both teams are just in really bad situations. Yeah, this game is weird. I don't have a ton of thoughts on it just because I simply have not watched a lot of Oklahoma and Oregon football this year. Um, you bring up the coaching situations. Yeah, I do think it is going to be a bit of a mess. Not only did both of their head coaches leave, but they both left in like really sketchy fashion, which was just very inter interesting and intriguing to watch it all unfold on Twitter. I'm going to go with Oklahoma solely because they have a six to one edge in the series against Oregon. So there's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know how to view this game. I mean, both of these teams had some quarterback problems. I mean, Anthony Brown played fine for Oregon, but overall, not really a difference maker. Uh, Oklahoma had that, you know, two-man game for so long. They finally found something with Caleb Williams. I think I'm going to uh, lean Sooners here. But um, the future, the, the futures of these programs is definitely more interesting than this matchup right now, I believe. All right, here we go. One more game before we get into the pinstripe bowl. We're going to go with the Cheez-It Bowl, uh, potentially one of the most infamous bowl games uh, ever played all those years ago. I would contest that the Red Box Bowl between Michigan State and Oregon was worse uh, for the sport. I think it set the sport of football back at least 20 years. Um, but we've got Clemson, who has a disappointing year by their standards, obviously runaway favorites at the start of the year to win the Atlantic. One vote short of being unanimous. Uh, but they came back. They had a nice year overall, just not by their standards. They still went nine and three. Uh, just really solid defense all year. That was the constant with this team. They're going up against an Iowa State team that maybe underperformed a little bit, but Matt Campbell seems to be staying there for life. I mean, his name kept coming up a lot in this job cycle. Uh, he's not going anywhere. The Cyclones here are favored by a point. As far as I know, I can't really see uh, many opt-outs here. Well, you know, What are the situations going on in this game that leads the Cyclones to being favored here? I think it's obviously the fact that Clemson has, you know, so many coaches that have left. I mean, I, if Iowa state's only favored by one point, I honestly think that they could win by multiple touchdowns because they're playing with no defense because Clemson is playing with no defensive coordinator, no offensive coordinator. And the fact that they're 80 left, it's just all piling up on this Tigers team. And they already have had such a tough year with the expectations that they were led at the beginning of the year. You know, both these teams were in the top 10 at the beginning of the year. And, um, have underachieved significantly. Also, DJU is a Heisman favorite at the beginning of the year, and he has just not lived up to the hype at all. So you have that, you know, adjusting to not having your, you know, star players and 
Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. And I think this has just been a hard year with, for them to deal with. Um, they're so used to being so good and having their pizza party for the college football playoff announcement every single year, you know, they didn't have that. So this is like uncharted territory for them in a bit to be in the cheese it bowl. But I really do love this coaching matchup in a lot of ways. Matt Campbell, incredible guy. Like you said, his name came up for a lot of different coaching gigs um, in the past couple of weeks, staying there. Dabo Sweeney, obviously an incredible coach in his own right, but I just don't really see how Clemson um, can play with unity in this game when they kind of have no consistency right now with so many departures on their staff. So I think, you know, Brock Purdy is going to have a day. I think Percy Hall is going to have a day. It's a really lethal combination. And I think it's going to be a test for this strong Clemson D, but I do think Iowa State's going to pull it out and it might be one of the best upsets of this bowl season. Yeah, I mean, when you're really looking at this matchup, you're absolutely right. It's really going to be the fact that both coordinators are gone. Uh, Venables being a huge piece of Clemson, which is why Oklahoma has such an exciting future ahead of them. The fact that they might be a Big 12 team that actually knows how to play defense uh, and be able to hopefully translate that to the SEC, uh, assuming they still move over. Um, I mean, it's kind of expected. But um, when you're really looking at this matchup, um, yeah, that's going to be a big factor. Um, for the Clemson side. And when you're looking at the Iowa State side, how about another Heisman contender, not only last year, but then even someone whose name was brought up during this year, Brees Hall, uh, one of the best running backs over the past couple of years, one of the most consistent, someone who I, I think it's reasonable to say that he is going to be in a fight with Kenneth Walker, for who's going to be that number one running back uh, coming out because Brees Hall is so incredibly talented. And we've seen uh, Iowa State running backs under from Matt Campbell's era coming out and being able to, uh, perform um, uh, in, in the likes of David Montgomery with Chicago. So I think when you look at this matchup, um, though Clemson's offense really uh, did start to take off towards the end of this year and actually show that they really can score more than two touchdowns in a game uh, on the offensive side. My thing is the fact that Purdy is most likely going to be in the draft this year and needs to elevate his stock. Brees Hall, I would also expect for him to be in the draft this year after two incredible seasons um, and increasing, trying to really be up there with Kenneth Walker would really be a, a good goal for him. And I think that those two are going to absolutely torch Clemson. You don't really have a one-two punch like this uh, with Purdy and Hall. Uh, I, I Right there with Katie, I think Iowa State's going to win this game very comfortably. And it's going to be a huge question mark going into the future of can Swinney get the right guys to be able to uh, steady the ship for Clemson and possibly get right back to glory? Or is this Clemson program going to collapse after too many huge losses and um, after losing both their coordinators in one cycle? I think I'm going to rock with the ACC side of things here. I think this is just going to come down to overall talent. And obviously, yes, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, they're going to, I think they can really light it up. Um, I think Iowa State can definitely give them a good fight. I think that the players on Clemson really are going to make a difference here. And as for the future with Dabo Swinney, yes, I, that is up in the air, and no one's good forever. Um, Alabama has really pushed the uh, envelope when it comes to, you know, building a college football dynasty. They've been good for so, so long now. You know, that, that is a question. Can Dabo Swinney find the right guys? But I would just counter that with he's found Tony Elliott, he's found, he's found Brett Venables, I think you can find his guys. Um, no hires have been made as of yet, I believe, but I, I, I do like Clemson in this game. Next year, you know, we'll see if they're able to bounce back, if they're able to win the ACC, an ACC that projects once again to be very weak. Um, 
you know, maybe DJU uh, takes a step up. Maybe they find someone in that transfer portal uh, to improve that quarterback position and to improve offensively overall. But I do, I do like the Tigers here. All right, here we go. The pinstripe bowl. I, I'm going to call it the snowball from now on because it is the farthest, most outdoors uh, northern game. Uh, this game is going to be very frigid. Late December, December 29th. Uh, we're talking Virginia Tech going up against former ACC opponent Maryland. I found multiple spreads on this game. It's one point either way. Uh, you're looking at Maryland favored by a point. You're looking at the Hokies favored by a point. Some opt-outs here for Virginia Tech. We're going to focus a lot more on that side, obviously. I mean, you're looking at Trey Turner. You're looking at Lasita Smith, uh, Amari Barno, Jordan Williams. Uh, it seems there are a lot of guys, you know, that are going to be missing. Uh, Tavion Robinson is in the transfer portal, so Tech's without their top two guys on the perimeter. Uh, Brock Hoffman seems to be the only guy that's going to be moving on to the NFL that will be starting in this game. So that could potentially, it most definitely will hinder uh, Tech's already limited offense from this season. Who, who do we like in this matchup? Um, obviously, J.C. Price will be the head coach uh, as Brent Pry is continuing to you know, assemble his staff. But we're going to see one more game from the other assistants uh, coaching in this one from Brad Cornelson and Justin Hamilton. Yeah, Virginia Tech dealing with a lot of adversity, like you mentioned. Last game for this staff before Coach Brent Pry takes over. It's obvious that the kids love J.C. Price and they love playing for him. But, you know, the young guys are really going to have to step up in this game with all of those opt-outs and, you know, draft mentions and things like that. You said Trey Turner going to the draft, Tavion Robinson entering the portal. Looks like he's going to end up at Kentucky. But really going to look to Dwayne Lofton and Caleb Smith to have big games here and really step up for their team. Um, they're going to kind of have to put their team on their back. Got to give the ball to Raheem Blackshear. If you want to keep the kid around, do it. The Virginia Tech fan base has been hostile towards their offensive coordinator because of this. Not really sure what he's going to cook up in this game as his last game under the OC position, but we'll see. Um, and then for Maryland, it is their first bowl game under their third-year head coach, Mike Loxley. Terrapins were 5-12 and 12 in their first two seasons under him before they kind of turned it around this year and went 6-6. Six and six. It is so hard for me to put my confidence in Maryland, though, just because they have not been consistent for a long time. But it's also hard to put your confidence in Virginia Tech with everything that they're dealing with, not only before, you know, struggling to beat UVA at the end. UVA hadn't been well, you know, at the end of their season. But I will go with Virginia Tech slightly. I think J.C. Price finishes his head coaching stint as two, with a 2-1 and one record. But I think this game is going to be ugly. Yeah, it's not going to be a fun game between these two teams. Uh, obviously, as we are going to have a lot more knowledge on that Virginia Tech side, so many players are leaving um, and are not going to be in this game. This is going to be uh, a Caleb Smith and, uh, you know, freshman-led uh, receiving core alongside um, a Brax, uh, Braxton Burmeister um, and the, the rest of the offensive line, um, et cetera. Really, for Virginia Tech, the key for this game, I think it's pretty simple. You need Blackshear and Thomas to absolutely ball out. They can. They've done it in the same game before. Blackshear has had a very solid season overall, um, a really incredible utility player um, for our team. But you, you need both these running backs to probably be hitting 80-plus yards on the ground to be able to have any sort of chance of winning this game. Um because on the other side of the, of the ball uh, of, of the offense uh, for Maryland, you have Talia uh, Vailoa, um, who has been very impressive since coming here to Maryland, including this year throwing for 3,600 yards and then having 24 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, 
really being the reason why Maryland was able to stay in games. And that's exactly why I'm going to go with the Terrapins in this matchup. Um, it, it, it blows. I'd love to see JC Price get one last win as the interim before everything goes over to Brent Pry. But Virginia Tech has lost so much on uh, that, that offensive front uh, that it's just, I think it's going to be way too much. Um, I don't have too much confidence in seeing what's going to get cooked up on the offensive side personally. Um, and I, I, I just fear that not both running backs are going to be able to really get in that game, Blackshear and Thomas. And we've, we've seen it before against confident quarterbacks um, with Kenny Pickett. The Pittsburgh just kind of cruised over uh, Virginia Tech. And you, it's just, I, I think when you have a guy's confidence to lead to Vailoa, um, I think that they're just going to be able to put up the points no matter what. Whereas we don't have that type of confidence with the offense, particularly with so many offensive players out. So I feel like I'm able to put more chips into that Maryland offensive basket than I can with Virginia Tech. And that's why I'm going to with the Terrapins. I think I'm going to lean with the Big Ten side of this equation as well. Maryland's defense, it, it's not great. Mike Loxley is a uh, defensive is a defensive coach at heart, uh, really good recruiter, but Maryland's defense was not good. Uh, Taka Vailoa could be the difference in this game, and other players opting out for Virginia Tech, uh, Jermaine Waller and Jamari Connor. I mean, that's two big pieces of a secondary that, as the season went on, just kind of wasn't playing together, was, wasn't playing up to their potential. Uh, so I'm going to go with Tua's little brother and the Terrapins as well. And it's something that I've touched on. Virginia Tech's offense is good, but the two worst defenses that they played were Virginia and Duke. And they're, they're, they are able to take advantage of them uh, at certain spots, especially on the ground. So their best shot at winning this game is doing what they're able to do best, which is run the football. But just overall, limitations in the passing game, I think, become the difference here. Uh, and I think Maryland comes away on a snowy uh, afternoon in New York City. All right. Before we wrap up here, we do want to quickly touch on three of our favorite matchups for bowl season overall. I want to start. Mine are a little bit out of the way, uh, but I don't know. I like my small schools. I like my, you know, good storyline matchups. So I'm going to start off one of the first two bowl games of the season. I'm going with the Cure Bowl. I'm going with Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, and his mullet. Uh, Grayson McCall had a fantastic season. I, I believe he has broken the record for QBR. I don't know if he needs to play in this game to have that uh, qualify, but he's right up there with Mac Jones as having the highest quarterback ratings in college football history. Uh, for a season, they're favored by 10 and a half over the great storyline of Rocky Lombardi, the Michigan State legend that he is, uh, winning the MAC, absolutely dominating Kent State in the MAC championship game. So, that is a two small school game that I love. I love all the storylines there. I love the seasons these two teams had. So, I'm looking forward to that matchup. I'm also looking forward to the Frisco Bowl between, you know, Reddit legends, UTSA, the Roadrunners, having a phenomenal year, one game short of coming up undefeated but they were able to get it done against Western Kentucky in the Conference USA Championship. They are 12-1. and They are favored against San Diego State. Brady Hoke is back, got them to 11 wins. Uh, a lot of missing players in the championship game uh, prevent them from walking away with the Mountain West title, but 11 wins nonetheless. They are ranked to end of the season. UTSA is favored by two and a half. Uh, also, shout out Matt Areza, the Ray Guy Award winner and a top two-round pick, in my opinion. And then I was going to go with the Purdue-Tennessee game, but as mentioned, David Bell and George Karloftis are out for Purdue. So that game doesn't really hold as much weight for me. So I'm going to go with NC State versus UCLA in the Holiday Bowl. The Wolfpack are favored by a point. Uh, good storylines there. 
UCLA, you know, finally able to emerge uh, in the season under Chip Kelly. His name is his, his name was mentioned in the head coaching search for Oregon, but he will be staying with the Bruins. And then NC State had just an overall really good year, nine wins. Uh, Devin Leary had a really good season for them. So those are my three games. Uh, really like them. Some of not not the biggest matchups, but uh, some really good storylines there. I'll be more basic in my picks. Um, it's the Orange Bowl, the Peach Bowl, and the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Like I talked about earlier with the Orange Bowl, just really excited to see how Georgia faces adversity. Um, Peach Bowl, really excited for Kenny Pickett to make a statement, hopefully, and see how Narduzzi goes up against his um, previous school. Um, and then Duke's Mayo Bowl, just love the energy that Shane Beamer, Shane Beamer has brought to this Gamecocks team and want to see um, Sam Howell kind of put this team on his back and make a statement before he leaves or doesn't leave. So those are my three. Uh, well, then, I think my favorite bowl of the NY6, I think I mentioned immediately, it was the first bowl game that we talked about here on this uh, episode, is the Ole Miss versus Baylor matchup. Uh, the champions of the Big uh, of the Big 12 versus uh, probably one of my favorite players from college football this past year, Matt Corral. Uh, it's just going to be a really fun matchup, a balanced Baylor versus a very hot offense in Ole Miss. Um, to go ahead and throw up my second uh, favorite matchup, of this, I'm also going to go ahead and go here and get, hit some of these smaller bowls here. And I really want to hit uh, the quick lane of Nevada versus Western Michigan. Western Michigan being able to beat the uh, ACC champs Pittsburgh uh, once the season in the 44-41 matchup. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't know much of the rest of their season, but that does show that they are able to put up some offense here and there. Uh, and obviously they're able to get this to this bowl game, uh, you know, somehow. So they're going to be a good team here coming up against Nevada. Uh, one of the favorite quarterbacks from this past draft class with, or for this draft class in Carson strong. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to be able to play here for Nevada. And the last bowl game I'm going to go with, I might sound like a little bit of a homer here, but it's going to be the tax act Texas bowl of Kansas state versus LSU. Um, now, obviously LSU have lost a lot of their staff here, uh, but with my growing up on Kansas State, I think Kansas State not only has a chance to win this bowl game, but I think it's also a fun matchup between two teams that, though they both aren't great, they are actually surprisingly both fairly well-balanced teams. I think LSU had a decent defense this year and a decent offense. Same thing for Kansas State Wildcats, a team that I think was a bit disappointing. I think you could have seen more out of the Wildcats this year. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. This is the last bowl game before the national championship. And I think it's definitely one that's going to be worth watching because I, I think for Kansas State, this could be a big bowl win uh, under this still relatively new uh, coaching staff. And it's going to be a, a bowl game that hopefully they can build on um, as the Big 12's future is going to be very interesting on both football and basketball side. All right, well, there you have it. I think that's going to be a good place to wrap it up today. Uh, talked a lot about bowl season, but pretty much gave you a full preview there. Uh, talked about the New Year's Six games, the college football playoff, highlighted some smaller bowls, obviously talked about Virginia Tech, Maryland in the pinstripe, and then gave you some of our favorites uh, here on the 3304 Sports Podcast. Kobe and I, we want to thank Katie Adams so much for coming on and talking college football with us today uh, for bowl season. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie6Adams. Uh, also, you know, find her work for 3304 Sports and definitely uh, check her out with Tech Sideline and what they do over there. So, for Katie Adams and for Colbert and Bergstrom, I'm Dan Steinbach. Thank you guys so much for listening and take care.